0: Hey, this is Keith. I'm the pastor of Blaze Church. Welcome to our podcast. I know today's message is going to inspire you, encourage you, and lead you to know God more. If you want to connect with us, visit us online at blazechurch.org. Enjoy today's message. Today, we're starting a brand new series called Sunday School Bible Stories for Grown-ups. So I grew up in church and I grew up hearing in Sunday school Bible stories. How many of you know about the flannel graph and the little felt people? Come on, where are my flannel graph people at? I know, it scarred us. What was going on? You know, the day when the Sunday school teacher called you out, and you're like, finally, I am chosen. I am appointed. I get to put Daniel and the lions up on the flannel graph. Today is my day. Right, we... We have these stories that are from the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible. For the last two weeks, we discovered what the Bible is. It's 66 books. It's a collection of writings that tell us who God is, how he saved us, and how we get to live now. And the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament, 39 books, let's just say it like it is. There's some crazy stuff in there, (laughs) There are some stories that we read and go, what in the world? Did that really happen? What do I do with that? And I found that many adults, we skip a lot of the Old Testament because we say, I don't understand it or there's no Jesus in it. What's the point? So what we're gonna do as a church for six weeks, and you're gonna hear from our preaching team during this series, is we're gonna walk through some of these Bible stories As grown-ups, and here's the one hope, because we're just gonna be like tour guides on this stage. We're not gonna answer every question. We're not gonna read every verse. There's one hope that you would be inspired instead of being scared to read what's in the Old Testament. And yes... It's a little tricky. It's a little crazy. And we're going to get right into it today with my boy, Noah. Let me hear you say Noah. Come on, we're going right into Noah. He's the one that built that big boat there that you see in the picture, Noah's Ark. Now, the title of my message is The Tale of Three Floods. The Tale of Three Floods. So if you're taking notes, write that down. And maybe you're already confused. My son this week, when I was taking him to basketball I was saying, Nate, um, I'm preaching on Noah's Ark and I'm gonna preach it. You wanna hear the title? He said, no. I said, well, you're gonna hear it anyway. It doesn't matter, you're a pastor's kid. You're gonna get the sermon before the sermon to help me with this. That's what it means to be a pastor's kid. I said, I'm preaching. I'm calling it the tale of three floods. He goes, dad, there was only one flood. I said, son, I've been talking to the Holy Spirit about this all week. Don't question me. It's the tale three floods. So the three floods is a flood of wickedness. There's a flood of judgment and there's a flood of grace. I want you to understand we're going to look at the story. We're going to watch the rains came down and the floods came up. The whole thing's going to happen. Don't worry. But I want you to see there is a flood of wickedness, a flood of judgment, and a flood of grace. So let's get right into it. Genesis chapter six, verse five. The Lord saw the wickedness, say wickedness, of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So at this point in human history, as God looks out on the world he's created, hey, we're in Genesis. This is the first book of the Bible chapter 8. We're a few pages past what's in our book. Not chronological in the timeline. We don't know how long, but only a few pages into. He just made it. He just made this thing. And he's looking and he sees that every intention of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. God looks and sees a flood of wickedness in the world he's made. Now, this is ancient Jewish meditation literature. That's what we learned last week. That's what the Bible is. It was written for us, but not to us. This is ancient Jewish literature. And we learned that in that writing, every word matters. So I don't believe the author's using hyperbole here. You know how sometimes you say, man, I worked a thousand hours this week. Okay, that's hyperbole. That's literally impossible. But <laughs> we say it, that's Okay. Is the author using hyperbole to describe every intention of his heart, only evil continually? No, this is the state of the world. Everyone is being led by wickedness. They're doing what they want without regard to God and his ways. Now we might sit here and say, whew, good thing the world's not like that anymore. (laughs) Good thing my heart's not like that. Good thing evil doesn't flow out of me. Hold on. Because the apostle Paul in the New Testament, Paul was changed by the love of Jesus and writes much of what we call the New Testament. This is what he says about evil in him. He says Romans chapter seven, verse 18. And I know that nothing good lives in me. Nothing good. Paul goes, I know nothing good lives in me. Now he doesn't stop there. Look what he says. Because we would say, wait a second, Paul, nothing good? I mean, I've seen you. you. You were a Pharisee. You did good things. You had to help some lady cross the street at some point. You bought somebody groceries. You gave. You, nothing good. Well, He goes, oh, that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. So let's poll the audience for a minute. Raise your hand. How many can relate to, I wanted to do what was right, but I couldn't? <laughs> Come on. We've all been there. And the rest of you, you want to tell the truth, but you just lied, okay? So you should raise your hand next time, all right? <laughs> That's where you are. Come on, we know what this is like. We've experienced this before. Man, I want to forgive. I want to honor. I want to be generous, but I don't know why I'm struggling here. Paul goes, no, no, but that's not really you. That's the sinful nature. The Greek word is sarx. You could write this and look it up later on Bible Hub, S-A-R-X. Just do a dive into what that is. Some translations call it the flesh, the sinful nature. Hey, there's something in me that is always evil continually. The sinful nature never wants what God wants. It only wants what it wants. And you and I can't overcome it on our own. We can't escape it. Hey, you can go to church when it's 19 degrees out. That still won't take care of the sinful nature. You can do all the Bible reading, all the praying. You can give all your money, all of it. You can't fix that part of you. You and I need a savior and we've got him in Jesus. Let's give him praise right now that he's rescued us. He's he's the one who takes that away, makes us new, new creation. So here it is. It's not just the days of Noah that was wicked. No, no, Paul's wrestling through this. Now, I wanna point something else out, especially if you're a follower of Jesus. I'm gonna talk to you for a minute. If you don't know Christ, so glad you're here. Just need a little, little minute with some of the Christians. Is that all right? Christians, why are we freaking out that the world is wicked? Why are we bugging out they changed this law? Oh my goodness, if this person gets in office. Oh, there's evil everywhere. We're going to hell in a handbasket. I don't even know what that means. What is a handbasket? Why are you saying that? A basket of hands? That's nasty. What are you talking about? There's no hope. It's all going down. This country's going down. Okay. Why are you freaking out? Jesus told us this would happen. Why are you surprised? Why are you writing such long posts? Nobody cares. Jesus already told us this would happen. In fact, look what he says. When the Son of Man returns... It will be like it was in whose day? In Noah's day. So maybe you just need to breathe easy right now and calm down. You don't have to freak out anymore that the world's wicked. Yes, we know. And so did Jesus. You wanna freak out about something? Let me give you something worth freaking out of. When the flood of evil comes out of us, you know when you should be concerned? When you're looking way more like the world than you are like Jesus. When you're being led by the sinful nature instead of the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead that now lives in you. That's when you should freak out a little bit and say, hold on, hold on. Come on, who's ever had this moment before? You said something and immediately you thought, where did that come from? I'm so glad Pastor Keith wasn't around to hear that. Or my small group leader. Or Jesus. He heard it, bro. (laughs) He was there. And you know what he says when that happens, when you say something or do something or act in a certain way or think something, and then you think, where did that come from? He goes, oh, pick me. I'll tell you where. Matthew 15, 19. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. Jesus goes, you want to know where it comes from? It came from within. It came from you. We have a heart problem, not a behavior problem, not a language problem. We got a heart problem. And there's only one person who can give us a new heart and he's willing to do it. Isn't that good news? He's willing to do it today. He's willing to look at you and say, you can't fix you. So I came to this world so that you could stop trying and stop hiding and confess it, I wanna give you a new heart. Come on. So there's this flood of wickedness in Noah's day. And God looks out and here's what we read next. Genesis 6, 6. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. Wow. The Lord regretted that he had made man. I think this might be one of the most tragic verses in scripture. God looks out on the world that he's just made and he regrets and he's grieved because he sees there's a flood of wickedness. It's tragic. I thought this, you know, you want to be a good leader. I believe all of you do. Write down a little leadership principle. Leaders are self-aware. Leaders take inventory. Leaders don't just go from one thing to the next without thinking about what they're doing. So I thought in this moment, what does God feel when he sees me? What does he think when he looks at my life man, I want him to think, I'm glad my son has surrendered his life to Jesus. I'm glad he's making a difference in the world that I've got him in. So God looks out and he says this. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth, the human race I've created. And with them, the animals, the birds, the creatures that move along the ground. And again, he says, for I regret I have made them. And what we're getting here is a glimpse of the second flood. We know it as flood waters, but really I want you to see it's a flood of judgment that's coming now. There's a flood of wickedness all over the earth. God's looking out and he's seeing, man, it's just every inclination, always continually wicked, evil. I know what I'll do. It grieves me. I've got to start over. Verse eight, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. We're introduced now to this person, Noah. And we're told he finds favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, I want to share a little fact with you. I don't know if Snapple still does this. Remember Snapple facts? Pop that cap, read some polar bears, or wow, I didn't need to know that ever, but now I do. (laughs) Let me give you a little fact you may never need. I think it's cool. There's only two people in the Old Testament who are described as finding favor in the eyes of the Lord. It's Noah and Moses. So that's pretty interesting to me that the first introduction we get of Noah is, but he finds favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now I ask, what did Noah know or do to find favor in the eyes of the Lord? And we're gonna find out this statement has a lot more to do with the goodness of God than it does the goodness of Noah. And that's good news for you and I but there's still a quality of Noah that is admirable. So God tells Noah, he starts talking to him and says, look, I'm about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die. But I will confirm my covenant with you. So enter the boat, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Eight people to be saved, to be rescued by entering the boat. Now, God then gives Noah all the plans, detailed plans. I mean, he tells him the size of the boat, how many floors to put it, where to put the windows. He tells him the wood type. How many of you remember a song, Arky, Arky? Noah, Noah built an Arky, Noah. It was gopher, barky, barky. That's how you know it's gopher wood. Come on, go to Sunday school, people. What are you doing? All right. He builds it with gopher wood. I don't even know what gopher wood is. (laughs) But I sang about it. He builds this whole thing. He follows every detail. And then we read, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. So write this down. You want to know a good legacy quality to have? Obedience. Obedience. When God says it, I do it. But it doesn't make sense. Didn't ask that. But it's hard. I know. Noah did everything just as God had commanded him. The author of Hebrews in the New Testament talks a little bit about Noah and his obedience. Here's what the author writes. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. Look at it. He obeyed God who warned him about things that have never happened before. Now, this is interesting. It's one thing when God calls me to obey and I have a context for it. I've experienced it. But what happens when God calls you to take a bold step of confidence and obey him in an area you've never obeyed him before in? I don't got a context for that. This has never happened before. I've trusted him with my relationships, but what do you mean trust him with my time? I'll trust him with my money, but trust him with my future? I've never done that before. Noah didn't have a context for an ark, for a flood, for any of that. And yet by faith, he obeys. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, meaning no one else believed what God said. The rest of the world stood condemned in judgment and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. So my question for you for you to think about later is simply this. What's my response to God's commands? Come on, what is he? You don't even have to wonder what they are because God's word has been given to us. So you don't have to wonder what does God say about my life, about my time, about my relationships. You don't have to wonder that. He's already given you the context. Now it's what am I gonna do with it? will I obey him? So Noah builds the ark and then we read, and Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. All of it. Obedience matters. For decades, Noah builds the ark and then the ark is completed. God says, now go in. You, your wife, your three sons, their wives, eight of you, bring the animals with you because I am about to pour out judgment on this world. And the rain comes down. And the text tells us that the ground burst open and water starts flooding the space. And it says in verse 23, every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds were wiped from the earth and only Noah was left. And those with him in the ark And there's no denying what this is. Yes, it is physical rain and liquid, but as we'll see, this is judgment on wickedness. It's a flood of judgment. We don't have to try to connect those dots. Another New Testament author speaks of Noah and this moment, Peter, and he writes this for us. And God did not spare the ancient world except for Noah and the seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of God's righteous what's the word judgment not God's flood he didn't warn them the rains coming you better get right he said no there's judgment for our wickedness because hear this when you and I choose to live out of our sinful nature and reject God's plan for salvation and his plan for life we say I'll take on the flood waters of judgment myself And my hope is that today none of us leave here thinking that we can somehow survive the waters of judgment or that we have to on our own. Because don't forget, there's one more flood to speak of. He says, so God protected Noah. Who did it? God did it. God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. Now, I want to pause and we'll come back to the the text, but I do want to answer, because remember, these are crazy stories, right? And maybe you're already thinking crazy questions. Like, I don't understand this. Man, did this really happen? This doesn't make sense. Why, what, what, can, do we really believe this? Okay, so let me share with you what we learned last week to help us out because we learned how to study the Bible. If you weren't here, go on our website, blazechurch.org Bible. Those messages are there. But we discovered there's three big genres of scripture. There is discourse, which is teaching, preaching the prophets. There's poetry and there's narrative. Of course, they can be broken down, but that's the big three. So the question that comes up of did did this really happen? Did the world really flood? This seems a little crazy. Right? Like what? So not that my opinion matters, and it really shouldn't. I would tell people when they say, Pastor Keith, what do you think? I say, what does God think, man? Don't worry about what I think. But I have the microphone, so I'll give you my opinion if that's okay. So I think out of those three genres, poetry, narrative, or discourse, this fits best in a narrative understanding, meaning it was a literal event. And my reason for that is we've already seen Jesus, Peter, and the author of Hebrews all point back to this moment in time and refer to it as a day. Noah's day. Jesus said in Noah's day, time and space. So there you go. You didn't ask for it. I gave it to you. Anyway, I'm a regular American. (laughs) Here's my opinion. You didn't ask for it. Here it is. The real question that you should be asking, if you want to scrutinize the text here, is if God's so good and loving, then why did he destroy the world? That's a better morality question for us to understand the character of God. If God's so good, then why would he wipe out creation? That doesn't seem loving. That seems like all the other gods I read of that get angry with humanity, that seek out revenge. They're not kind. They're not merciful. So let's talk a little bit of that one. And we don't have to just give opinion We want to study the Bible. What did the text tell us about the quality of God, his nature? Because that's what's in question with that. You're questioning then God's character. Is he good? And does this undermine his goodness? Well, what did we read? First, what does the text say about us, about humanity? How good are we at that point? Not good at all. Only evil continually. Every inclination wicked. So please don't paint a picture of some happy, good citizens innocently minding their business when God's having a bad day and says, I think I'll kill them all. That's not this moment. I would suggest to you that the flood of judgment is a merciful restraint of the wickedness of humanity. How loving would you be as a parent if you watched your kids beat each other up and said, well, I'm so loving, I can't interfere with that. I gotta let them choose their own way. Free will, baby, go ahead. That's not loving to step in mercifully and say, you don't know how to treat each other. We need intervention here. So let's start with where we are as humanity. Then let's talk about who is God, In this moment, does it say in the verse that God was angry at the world, that God wanted vengeance on humanity? No, it says he was broken and grieved. So please understand his motivation in this moment is brokenness, is pain. Is I never intended for humanity to treat each other this way. And here they are. And it grieves me to my core. But wickedness ushers in judgment. Just some thoughts. And I know there's other questions that we might have. Was the flood the whole world? Was it one area? What about the fish? Did they have to go on the boat or did they just swim around? You maybe never thought of that one. Now you did. So there you go. I don't know. Let's keep reading. Genesis 8.1, because the story doesn't end with a flood of judgment one more flood. Genesis 8:1. God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind, say a wind, a wind, blow over the earth and the waters subsided. Now, let's start first with our English translation of those first few words, God remembered. This isn't like one day God is chilling in heaven it's like, didn't I have a family and a zoo floating around? Somewhere? Gabriel, do you remember this? <laughs> like, oh, that's right. No, that's not this version of God remembered. Okay, remember ancient Jewish literature. So when the author writes God remembered, it's the best way to tell us that God's heart is now stirred to do something good for humanity. Okay, the floodwaters, the judgment and my people and I'm going to do something good for them. And what's the first good thing he does? A wind. Now, for a couple minutes, we're going to nerd out on some Hebrew words, okay? Some of you are going to check out. I understand that. That's all right. This ain't your thing. But this is just so cool for you to understand what is being written here. It is amazing to see the Bible. So God made a wind. The Hebrew word for wind is ruach, R-U-A-K-H. And it literally is best understood as this. That's That's the best understanding of the Hebrew word. In Greek, the New Testament, the word is pneuma, pneuma. And it's translated in English as wind or spirit, so watch this. When humanity is submerged under dark waters of chaos, the first thing God does is he sends oh, the ruach. He, he brings a wind to blow across the dark waters of chaos because he's about to do something that we've already seen him do just pages before Genesis 8. The book of Genesis opens with this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God, or in Hebrew, the ruach of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This is so cool. So when God looks in the beginning at dark waters of chaos, filling this voidless, formless world, he says, I will create by sending my spirit, ruach. And then after the world is once again submerged in the dark waters of chaos, he goes, I will create again by sending my ruach. My wind will blow across for new beginnings. It's absolutely amazing the plan that God has a recreation, a new beginning. It's why in Hebrew, the number eight, this eight people that come off the ark symbolizes new beginnings because now here they are, and it is God in his flood of grace that says, I will create again. Don't miss the flood of grace. It's been all throughout the story. Remember Genesis 6 It says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. There's nothing to indicate why Noah should find favor at that point, except that God is gracious and had a plan to preserve humanity through one man. Why did God give such detailed instructions on the ark, which would be a form of salvation for them? Because God is gracious. He's good. And so Noah experiences the grace of God and the Ruach blows and the waters subside and Noah gets off the boat. And the first thing Noah does is he makes a sacrifice to the Lord. And the first thing God does is he makes a promise to humanity. Watch this, Genesis 9, 16. He says, when the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant. That's a good phrase. Everlasting, not taking this one back. I'll see that bow in the clouds and I'll remember an everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. So God says, Noah, because I'm good, I'll make a promise with you and all humanity that I will never again wipe out this world this way. I'm making an everlasting covenant. And it's great, and there's new beginnings. And do you know what Noah does? He sins. He's wicked. He is led by the sinful nature. He gets drunk and naked. Some of you can relate to that sin. That's okay. (laughs) Finally, something I relate to in this message. I've been here before. Okay. (laughs) There's Noah. He sins, he breaks the covenant. And we are left wanting a true and better Noah that will honor the covenant. And we have him in the person of Jesus. Look at the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 12. He says, I have a baptism to be baptized with And how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Now, what's interesting about Jesus's statement here is Jesus has already been water baptized when he says this. He's already gone under the water. He's been submerged. So what do you mean, future tense, I have a baptism? He's not talking about the waters of baptism. He's talking about being submerged under the dark waters of chaos caused by humanity's wickedness on the cross. He says, man, I've got a baptism coming, guys. I'm gonna go under the flood of judgment so that you might experience a flood of grace. So let me show you Noah for grownups. In Noah's day, the wicked died and one righteous person was saved. But in Jesus' day, the wicked lived because one righteous person was willing to die. Noah enters the ark to escape the flood waters. but Jesus is buried, dead for three days, rises from the dead to become himself an ark of safety for us to run to. And Jesus dies at the hands of violent, angry, wicked people to bring them his kingdom of peace. And says, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. That's Jesus. And just as Noah obeyed God by climbing onto a boat to save a few, Jesus obeyed his Father by climbing onto a cross to save many. He did that for you because he loves you, because he's good. And in 2024, you and I live in the floods. We are aware of the flood of wickedness. We know that one day a flood of judgment will come. And that's actually good news because all sin and evil and death and hell itself, scripture says, will be done away with. No more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow. That doesn't take away from the goodness of God. It affirms his justice because there are still parts of this world where wickedness has not been restrained. And one day he will come. But you and I don't have to fear a flood of judgment because we live in a flood of grace knowing our Savior has already been submerged in that flood and came out victorious so that you and I might have everlasting life. That's the good news. That's our hope. So we get to live in the flood of grace and we get to tell people about his love. We get to say, come with me to Blaze Church. Let me get coffee with you. Let me tell you how God has pulled me from the floodwaters of judgment and I'm living in a flood of grace now. And man, yes, there's wickedness all around me, but it's not flowing from me. He has made me new and he loves you. That's your story. Ephesians says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's a gift of God. Grace. Grace. Amazing grace. So I want to ask you today have you received the gift? Have you put your hope in Him? Do you know how much he loves you? And are you on this lifelong journey now of surrendering to the flood of grace and looking more like the creation that he's made? You are an image bearer. You were made to show the world Jesus. And sin might be distorting that image now, but I believe even today, God wants to wash over you with his grace and make you new. And I wanna pray for you. So would you bow your head now and close your eyes? And if you're saying, Pastor Keith, I wanna know this Jesus. I wanna put my faith in him. I wanna put my trust in him. We are about to call on his name in prayer. And if you wanna know Christ today as we call on his name, I wanna ask you to raise your hand as a sign of surrender. I want you to be bold in this moment and say, God, forgive me of my sins. Make me new. I don't need to experience a flood of judgment. I can live in a flood of grace because of what your son has done. That's the gospel. So we're gonna pray. And the power is in Jesus, not in the words we say, but we call on his name knowing he saves us. So would you pray this with me? And again, if you wanna know Christ, raise your hand so I can pray with you. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus died and rose again so I could be saved. Thank you for new life. Thank you for grace. Today, I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, would you celebrate with heaven right now? Welcome home.